One of the uh, impressive things for me, as I watch on television these days, the, uh, the continued horror of the insurrection there, or the uh, in invasion of Ukraine by Russia, uh, almost a, a positive thing maybe, is the courage of the people of Ukraine standing up in the face of uh, a much larger threat than they are to, uh, to defend the freedoms that they have as a nation. Uh, and I'm not talking only about the military willing, willing to do that, but many of the civilians being willing to take up arms to defend their country. I, I'm wondering if the shoe were on our foot, how we would do as a country. Would we be as courageous? I, I think it's safe to say that courage is a virtue that everybody would like more of. We try to help our children develop it as they are growing up. Maybe we'll call it at that time, though, a little more self-confidence in them. I think it's an important part of feeling good about ourselves. It helps us to face our trials and overcome our, our fears. Even though courage isn't listed among the seven fruits of the Spirit that St. Paul talks about in Galatians or present in any of the lists of spiritual gifts found in the Bible, I think we Christians have always placed high value on courageous confessing and living as a result of our faith. Problem, of course, is that as much as we uh, extol courage, it tends to escape us at the very time that it's required. Yeah, here, one, here one moment and gone the next. As the saying goes, it's one of those things you always have until you need it. Think of the uh, cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz who talked big until trouble came. Well, in this morning's gospel reading, we can learn a lesson about courageous living from Jesus. He was on his way to Jerusalem through the province of Perea, territory across the Jordan River that was under the jurisdiction of King Herod. It was here that a strange threat finds its way from Herod to Jesus by way of some Pharisees, truly uh, strange bedfellows here. You can be sure that the motive in issuing such a threat for both the, the very secular Herod and the very religious Pharisees was deceptive and malicious. They wanted Jesus gone and they didn't care how it happened. And it's because of this this sly, um, treacherous uh, uh, threat that Jesus calls Herod a fox here. That was not a compliment. In bold contrast to their cowardice, Jesus sends back a very clear message, which in effect says, I'll, I'll leave when I'm good and ready, and right now I'm not ready. Today and tomorrow, I'll proclaim the kingdom, cast out demons, and heal the sick, and then, and only then, I'll reach my goal, or my journey's end. Now, coming from Jesus, that's a, a rather surprising response. In fact, it might even appear foolish 
not courageous. Herod was like his father, Herod the Great. Remember, the, the king who tried to kill baby Jesus after his birth. Now this Herod, Herod Antipas, was crazy enough to finish the job. Not long before, he had beheaded John the Baptist. And if it wasn't Jesus' time yet, if he hadn't reached his goal yet, maybe it would have been smart to back off here. You know, maybe he should have uh, stepped a little bit more softly, uh, tried to keep the peace, compromise a little bit, keep everybody happy. You and I are presently living in the world's jurisdiction. And the world is full of Herods issuing uh, daily threats against us. We're told to confine our morality to our, our personal lives. Keep it out of the, the, public, the, the public square where it might be considered hate speech. We're told to confine our teaching of religion to Sunday school, to limit displays of crosses and nativity sets to private property. In this multicultural society in which we live, it, it's expected that we be more tolerant of the truth claims of other people's uh, beliefs and more accepting of their behavior, their lifestyles. As confessing Christians, we're told we don't have anything to say anymore. Well, that we're answering the wrong questions. Our message is old-fashioned. We're out of touch with the real world. And too often, we don't have the courage to answer. So instead, we keep silent and maybe even conform to the world. We might even try to justify our passive avoidance by misapplying scripture to say that we need to be more more cordial and submissive, you know, uh, turn the other cheek, become all things to all people so that by any means we might save some. It took courage for Jesus to call Herod a fox. It took even more courage for him to hang around a few days after having said it. But it took the most courage for him to, as Luke says four chapters earlier, for him to steadfastly set his face toward Jerusalem. It was Jerusalem, you see, that had the monopoly on prophet killing. And it wasn't to be denied its privilege now in shedding the blood of the greatest prophet. It is necessary for me to go, Jesus says. I must keep going. He had no choice. It was more than just a courageous desire. It was a, a divine compulsion. The behind-the-scenes plan of a compassionate God was about to unfold there in Jerusalem for the world to see. In just a short time, in fact, in the wee hours of Good Friday morning, Jesus would be standing before that fox, Herod, in his courtroom, ridiculed and beaten, spit upon, treated with contempt. But he courageously withstood that scene as well as hours before in Gethsemane and his arrest and the courtroom of Caiaphas and Pilate 
as well as the, the road along the Via Dolorosa leading to Golgotha and the cross, enduring the cross, despising the shame. You see, he wasn't just standing up to secular princes and authorities with their threats of confinement and death. He was laid bare before the Almighty God who demands payment for sin to the fullest extent of the law. Jesus had the courage to go to hell for us. And as a result of that courageous substitution, his place, his life for ours, God is now able to say to us, your sins are forgiven. You now belong to me, not to the world. And the world with all of its threat and cunning no longer is master over you. Take heart, you have nothing to fear. Knowing who we are in Christ, we can experience then the, the thrill of real courage. St. Paul writes to young pastor Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. We can live a life of courageous proclamation without, with almost a sense of reckless abandon. Think of a Ukrainian st a soldier standing in front of a Russian tank. No matter what might happen, he has the courage to stand up. You see, like Jesus, our life's end. Our goal has also been determined by divine mandate. We can accomplish our daily work, our calling here on earth. And no power of earth or of hell will be permitted to disturb us. We have today and tomorrow and the next day, the third day, we will reach our goal too. No one can shorten the time that is allotted by God for our work here on earth. And no one can take away the eternal life that God has prepared for us in heaven. There's another kind of courage that Jesus demonstrates here. In some ways, it's even more difficult than standing up to threats and the fear of death. The thought of dying in Jerusalem turns Jesus' thoughts now to this, this city and the hostility that it had shown to God over the centuries. But instead of lashing out against them, he issues an expression of love love to his enemies, to his soon-to-be killers there. Love your enemies, Jesus had commanded us, and now he was doing just that. And that requires courage. There is maybe no greater expression of God's grace being for everyone than what Jesus says now. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. It's the fierce love of a, a mother for her children, whether that's in the animal kingdom or in the people kingdom. That's how Jesus felt toward those throughout the Old Testament who killed his prophets like Jeremiah. That's how he felt toward those who hated him now. Herod, those Pharisees, those scheming Pharisees, and the city of Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem, not the city of peace that the name implies here, Jerusalem or Shalom, but rather Jerusalem, the city of opposition. Jesus would finally arrive in Jerusalem for the last time with tears in his eyes. He would repeat those same words on Palm Sunday. You know, coming down the hill from the Mount of Olives today, on the site where tradition has it that Jesus spoke these words, you can see a church whose dome is shaped in the form of a teardrop. God doesn't force himself on anyone. The love of Christ is resistible. Herod and the Pharisees and Jerusalem all give testimony to that. You were not willing, Jesus says, and so now your house is left to you desolate. Jerusalem today remains a, a divided city in which there is no peace. It is at the same time both ugly and yet beautiful. I mean, it's filled with hatred and terror. It's the center of two world religions, Judaism and Islam, both of which still reject their savior. And yet it's also holy ground where one can easily sense the divine presence of God. In such a place, it's hard then to courageously proclaim God's word, and to accept Jews and Gentiles, our enemies, whom we might rightly guess are never going to accept us or the Savior that we worship. It takes courage to go to Jerusalem these days with all that's going on over there in that part of the world. If you're planning a, a Holy Land tour anytime soon, you might want to think twice about that. But Jesus calls us as we're reminded again during this Lenten season. He calls us to follow him to the Jerusalems around us, to the mission field that lies just beyond the driveway entrance out here. And he calls us to have compassion there for the lost, to do all that we can to bring them under the everlasting arms. Now for the courage to do that, Look to the cross of Jerusalem and to the brave man who spread out those arms to cover us all. God, give us the courage then to speak and to live for him. Amen.